Welcome back to Specialty Coffee Talk, the show where we talk high-quality coffee in a low-quality way. I'm your host, Philip, and today, my friends, we are back. First episode of 2018, and who do I have with me but everyone's favorite coffee enthusiast, my brother. I am so excited to be somebody's favorite. (laughs) When you experience something for the first time in your life, you can't help but be excited. Oh. Now, <laughs> so great. It's so great to be with you guys. Uh, we had this really fun conversation with Steve Cuevas. He is the U.S. Tasters Cup champion for 2017. So we get into tasting and roasting and talking about delicious coffee, which we are wont to do on this coffee podcast. Take it away, Philip. All right, we are here with Steve Cuevas. Is that right? Nailed it. That Nailed it. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Black Oak Coffee Roasters and also the U.S. Tasters Cup champion. From 2017. Of 2017. Yeah. yeah. Of 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of all time. Yes. The greatest. <laughs> the goat. Since the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so really good to have you with us, Steve. Thanks so much for coming and having a conversation with us. Um, we're going to get into a lightning round of a few quick questions that we really want to know. So Eric, why don't you start us off? All right, Steve. Yes. Um, favorite brew method. Favorite brew method is going to have to most definitely be the siphon pot or the vacuum pot. I've never, I've never tried that. What's, uh, what's going on there? Uh, I, I love it for a couple reasons. It's just so showy. Like, in all honesty, if I had to say <laughs> why, it's because it's so bourgeois. We we happen to have one at our shop, and uh, we don't offer siphon uh, pots for anybody. But what I end up doing is that I, I used to show up early, then I start making myself a little siphon, and then people are just like, what is that? And so it gets the conversation of, what coffee is why do you brew it like that and so it's such an opener for everything because then they ask you know the next logical question is why do all that trouble and then you get into the well if i use a v60 i'll get a thin body if i use a french press i'll get heavy but a little bit of oils in it and then um i use this because it's a little bit of the best of both worlds i sandwich a little bit of a chemex filter in between the the filter or like they have a metal sieve but i put a a chemex filter in between it to clean up the cup so i do a little bit something different and it just it looks so over the top to have somebody make your coffee with a siphon and so it it just gets conversations going people are super interested and i don't have to do anything i just show up make the coffee and then the people come over so that's kind of my favorite method at the moment that's that is now the next the next step we are we are on the vacuum the vacuum <laughs> yeah. um, that's where we're going next. yeah, yeah we're, we're going there we're gonna get it soon uh what's <laughs> what's your favorite country of origin right now oh man hands down it always has to be you know ethiopia either natural or washed it doesn't matter they're so those two flavors we do a lot of blind cup tasting and so a lot of the times sometimes you get something like indonesia that i've never tried and so you're just kind of like oh i have no idea what that coffee is but anytime you taste a washed or a natural ethiopia you already know what it is you know kenya kenya is kind of the same thing you you taste a kenya and you're like i you know so for me it's always kind of like i'll guess 
those those three like blindly and so it's just kind of like i just learned to distinguish what those characteristics are in that coffee do you have a favorite um process that one is such a tough question because yeah it moves around a bit i mean i it's again dependent on region and all that stuff i mean to me if we're talking Ethiopia, the natural, it's like when you, you have a day and you don't really want to think about it. So you're like, ah, you know, it just tastes good. And, you know, they're, it just strawberries, blueberries. And you're like, all right, you're, you don't have to use your brain power. But some days when you're like, I want to challenge myself and taste the nuances, you switch over to a washed Ethiopia. And then you're like, oh, florals. What floral is that? Oh, there's, it's like black tea in there too. Wait, oolong or black tea? And so the the wash one to me is more of like cerebral. And you have to think about all the flavors that are layered inside of that cup. And the natural is kind of more of the, I'm just going to enjoy it and not have to overthink about all the little nuances in it. It's just, it hits you with blueberry and sweetness. And so one is more complex and one is more... Um, less dynamic, but it's still just as flavorful. But I guess I would go with washed in particular. That would be, I think, washed Ethiopia. That's like Philip's go-to as well. Yeah. <laughs> What's your uh, like coffee drink? You're gonna show up at a coffee shop. Maybe you're not gonna just be ambitious and try every you know <laughs> espresso based and a drip and then this kind of a pour over and da da da. What's like? What's your go-to coffee drink? Uh, kind of no matter where you're at. Right now, I'm really on this one-in-one. Uh, not too many shops make it, but you know, you split a shot. Hopefully, they have a spouted porter filter, and then you you have a single espresso, and then with the other shot, you have them make a cappuccino. And to me, if everyone's pulling bigger shots, like uh, back in the day when they used to do the ristrettos, the ristrettos tasted balanced when you do a double. Nowadays, you're pulling like 40 gram shots and you're not taking that in consideration when you're making your cappuccino. And so I feel like it throws the ratio off a little bit. But if you single cappuccinos with a single espresso is kind of my go to for the fact of you get to evaluate how this espresso plays well with milk. And I think that that's the right ratio. And then you get the straight espresso. And so you get you can evaluate how it's going across the board. So I think that's kind of a better way of doing a little bit of QC, QC for uh, coffee or espresso in that part. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's like one of my favorites at, um, we've got a place called Clatch down here. Actually, you went when you were down here. Right? Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. yeah, I know that crew. I uh, Todd Goldworthy was uh, my instructor for one of my classes that kind of led me on this whole taste thoughtfully. And so in all honesty, I always, cre- I give credit back to Todd because uh, he, he was like one of the first people that kind of like put me on the path of like, oh, my God, I'm shoving food in my mouth and chewing, but not thinking what it tastes like. And Todd was, a, you know, he 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 kind of set the path of tasting. And so if, it, you know, people are like, oh, you're a great taster. And, it, you know, I had great advice from him. He was one of the people that gave me great advice. Shout out. Clutch. Right? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Stinking clutch. Always getting shout outs on the show here. <laughs> Um, it's cause they're so good. Right. Um, <laughs> so is there a coffee, like, is there a moment that you can remember a coffee that was just like, you know, holy crap, this changes what I think about coffee. Oh yeah. Most it- definitely. Um, 
I ended up winning a trip to Brazil for the U.S. Cup Tasters competition. So we got a. It was really awesome because I ended up traveling with all the U.S. champions and some of the world's champion of the competition. So like brewers, roasters, and um, you know Mark, Mark and Dylan from Onyx were there, and actually the two owners oh, wow. from Onyx were there, and. Um, A lot of people, the World Cup tasting champion was there, so that was also humbling for me. But when we went to Brazil, we actually, um, we went to a couple cuppings all like at different farms, different areas. And uh, one, one coffee in particular literally changed my like whole mind. It changed my world. Um, It was this farm, uh, Minamihara. Uh, There was a Japanese fifth generation Japanese uh, Brazilian and uh, it was a natural Brazil and I I, I was talking to somebody and I was just kind of like you know I was like wow this is a natural Brazil and then they let me know well most Brazil's natural because of the amount of water that it takes to have washed so most of it is and ends up being a natural and I was like oh oh okay but it never hits me because it doesn't taste like a natural Ethiopia that just tastes like blueberries and berries like natural uh, Brazils kind of have that just more milk chocolatey softer notes but this one from Minamihara it was it I literally we were at their farm we were at a little party that they were holding for us and as I was cupping about four cups into it I literally was thinking I was drinking Ethiopian coffees and so it was kind of, wow. it, it blew me away because it, I had to like think where I was again. I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm in Brazil drinking Brazilian coffee. But my tasting notes in my brain were all Ethiopian notes of like a, a natural Ethiopia. It was just strawberry, like nice blue, like more strawberry than blueberry. But it was still nice balance, lower acid, but a lot of uh, strawberry. And it, it changed my mind because instead of figuring that oh you know Ethiopia is doing something maybe it's the region the soil it ended up figuring out for me that it was the processing the way they processed their coffee was what really gave it that flavor and so now I think about coffee I think about the more importance of processing as opposed to oh it's from this region and I know it's going to be a solid hundred and so now I kind of am more curious about researching how people dry their coffee if they sun dry raised beds which uh you know minamihara was doing shade grown uh right raised beds uh inside of little canopy shade uh drying tarps so it was just super the process was kind of almost reminiscent of ethiopia i'd imagine and so it, it, it just blew my mind i I've been talking about them up and down, like, you know, anyone asked me that question, that's the farm I talk about, because it, it, it took my, I normally think about Brazil as like 83 to 85, and think of them as a blender component, or for somebody that likes low acid, and that's kind of how I used to think of them, but, you know, when I had, um, when I had their coffee, I literally was, someone needs to get this into the competitions, because, as soon as you taste it, you you know, my thought was like, you'll have it in a competition. People would taste it and be like, oh, Ethiopian coffee. And then you go, and it's a Brazil. And it like, you, <laughs> then they give you the award right after you say that. They're like, oh, here you go. That's how awesome it, it tasted. What is, what's one of the things 
that you believe to be true that most people probably don't agree with you with. Um, this doesn't even need to be coffee related. It's just kind of a general uh, f- kind of funny question. It doesn't have it can be whatever you want it to be. Oh, man. Right now, um, we have a, a one of our newer employees. He's been with us for uh, a few months. His name is Thomas Chandler. He has a, a degree in organic organic chemistry. And uh, so him and I, it's it's fun to talk to people about coffee because you end up like, uh, here's my observation, and then you give me your observation. And a lot of the times when we're talking about roasting or drinking coffee or brewing and extraction, we're all making assumptions based on our observations of that moment. And so to talk to somebody that actually has like a chemistry degree has changed a lot of our ideas for roasting. And so when we're talking about how we roast coffee, it's 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 changed a lot for, you know, I, I think the hardest thing, the funny thing is like, as I'm about to say this, I already know, I already know somebody's going to call me about this, but, um, <laughs> the, that's great. That's the best. That's right like, like, as soon as you ask, <laughs> yeah. I already, I'm already like, all right. I, I, and I know the person too. I'm going to got the controversial topic. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to say, I'm going to have Mark from Onyx calling me because, uh, I, I mentioned something at oh, another no. podcast and then he was like, Hey, I wanted to talk to you about what you said in the podcast. Uh, but so I don't know if you know about roasting. That's brutal, man. You're getting like audited by these these guys that know coffee so well. Well, no, that's Ma- tough. Mark, oh, the man. best thing about Mark is that he is humble enough to ask everybody anything. And a, a lot of times it's not it, it's not like a questioning. It's more of the he's picking my brain. So he's like, if you know something, Mark is going to get at it. And he wants to know, too. Whether he agrees or disagrees is not the point of like a lot of roasters. Our our goal is to mine information. And so that's what he's one of the people that won't be shy. Other people might hear it and then they'll be like, oh, I need like I should say something, but I probably won't. Mark will be like on the phone right away. Like he has my number, so he'll call me. But that's cool. I like I like Mark. Yeah. Shout out Mark. He sounds like a cool dude. Mark Nelson from Onyx Coffee Lab. So if you know anything about roasting, when you roast the coffee, the temperature of the beans go up at a at a angle, and then we track the temperature of the beans. Uh, it's called the delta, and the delta is just kind of every. It's kind of the speed limit. So you're going sixty miles per hour, but in this case, you go about. Um, 60 degrees per minute and so as you're roasting your delta is dropping at this uh angle and so the whole time most of the roasters are dropping that delta at an angle and we've actually started experimenting with doing really weird looking deltas and so scott rao who wrote a lot of books he's a proponent of like if you like you don't follow this line it's not going to be as great as it can be. And so my chemist is, well, these chemical reactions are happening at these temperatures. These chemical reactions happen at this temperature. This temperature from here to here, actually the chemical reactions that are happening are actually not positive chemical reactions. So you want to skip this temperature phase, but travel in this temperature phase. And like he has like this whole... Um, chemistry behind why he wants to travel through different temperatures at different speeds but 
everybody kind of follows the Scott Rao line where you're like, it must do this. And so we're kind of starting to not listen to anybody and trying to like create our own paths. And hopefully we're, yes. you know, <laughs> we're writing some, we're, we're, he's writing some books. He's writing some theories. Uh, hopefully once uh, UC Davis lab opens up, we'll be able to send them samples to figure out exactly what we're doing. So it's amazing to have that guy, but the, I don't believe descending R over R uh, cr always creates the best flavor. So that would be the controversial statement to say. And I'll wait for the emails. Oh, wow. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I think we all, um, people that are like really into coffee, we forget how, how young the industry really is and the specialty side of things. And like even roasting, like just how young yes. it is. And it's, there is so much more to learn and so much. So like, like making any, this is the only way to do anything. We're still so early on. Like that's, it's kind of ridiculous. It's, um, we're jumping a little ahead of ourselves, you know? Oh, like absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's so many, we're going to, we're going to figure out all this new stuff going forward and apply science here and here and here and figure out all these cool stuff. Um, we don't know everything yet. And it takes people doing like what you're doing where you, you like, don't get stuck in a box, like go, go figure stuff out and talk to other people. And that, that's awesome. That's yeah. so cool to hear. I, what, one of the interesting things is, uh, we had a new roaster added to our lineup and, um, at one point he accidentally crashed the, the temperature of the coffee at the end of first crack. And so his mistakes, he, well, what he perceived to be a mistake was actually he discovered how to roast one of our coffees way better than what we were doing because we were following the traditional method. And he did something by accident, but he found the better way of roasting it. And so for us, what we end up doing uh, now is that we take stuff to the cupping tables, evaluate based on flavor, then we look at the line and we try to figure out why do we believe that happened and then we kind of, you know, we, we saw that his line, which didn't follow what standards would want us to do, was it just was so amazing, so much more flavorful. And so then we just kind of took that and now we use it. Um, but, you know, I, I think uh, that kind of gave us credence to, well, we shouldn't really be following just rules, general rules. Um, and... Uh, the other one too is just kind of like uh Tom's mentality too about when we're you're roasting coffee you're kind of the coffee is coming up to the temperature of the machine and so you're basically creating uh equilibrium between the temperature of the coffee and the temperature of the machine and so at a certain point it doesn't matter how it got there but that you know it's getting there and it's creating some of the same chemical reactions during the temperatures um but it, it was just kind of like we're i guess what i'm saying is just end flavor trumps all and so we just try to you know you know it was amazing what he's done with some of the other higher density coffees the his method has worked out so we just kind of go with it that's really cool Although, yeah, it's always exciting to see people trying new stuff, 
there's so much uh, to look into and to investigate still. So that's really exciting. Um, let's let's shift the conversation. Let's go uh, to you uh, and where you where you grew up. Where'd you grow up at? Um, so I was in Southern California. Uh, I was living in the Inland Empire. So that's kind of a east of Los Angeles, uh, about like an hour or something like that. Um, that's uh, hey, uh, that's where we live. You're describing <laughs> yeah, where yeah. we currently yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah we're, so, here. we're here right now. So you, then you might know exactly where I live. I was living in uh, Ontario, California. So yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. So I always say, you know. Back in the day, everybody used to just be like Canada, because you know it's. I put, <laughs> uh, but now yeah. the airports yeah. there, the malls there, uh, Clatch is there, uh, Augie's right off to the side. So, it it's kind of a it it's to me again talking to Clatch again. It's just like it was super awesome to have like a huge coffee roaster in that area. I know they're up in Rancho Cucamonga, but it, it was it still kind of blew my mind. But um, I was in Ontario till I was sixteen. Um, that's when I kind of moved to San Francisco, uh, as I was turning 17 and I moved to Treasure Island, uh, a friend vacated their location. And so I just kind of took over rent. And so from 17 to about, oh, I'm bad with timing, uh, but probably like till 23, 25 or so I was in San Francisco. And then I started floating around, uh, more North. Um, just kind of the coast up uh, in Sonoma, and then I ended up finding the little spots in uh, Cloverdale for two years, and then finally made the move up to Ukiah. Uh, been working there for three years, but I've been living there for about two years or so. But yeah, uh, most of my time was living in San Francisco, uh, either on Treasure Island, downtown San Francisco, or in the East Bay is kind of where I was at. So when did you first experience specialty coffee? Like where, where did that start? Uh, I, I can't re technically remember the date, but I remember when I was living in the East Bay in, uh, in San Leandro, there was a small coffee shop uh, named Zocalo Coffee House. And so um, I started working there and it was just kind of like we lived in a cool little punk rock house. Um, a bunch of just friends living there and the, every, like most of the house worked at the coffee shop. So it was kind of like they employed the house basically. Um, but that's kind of was where I got my coffee, like my actual coffee experience. Um, I say that I touched bases with coffee probably a few years earlier, but it was more on a commercial, uh, chain kind of idea where I was working at a, specialty coffee house which is just kind of like a chain sandwich shop and they had a coffee program but um you know i i do some of the baking and some of the sandwich production line in the morning so i'd be i'd have to leave treasure island at four thirty in the morning to take a 30 minute bus ride to get there around like five and then then i go to work at six I had to leave early because I couldn't risk missing the bus or the bus not showing up because that would happen sometimes. And so I would just leave really super early. Uh, we had keys to the shop, so we were, uh, we'd were uh, we open up early and make some breakfast sandwiches for ourselves and get ourselves ready and make coffee. But at that point, I had no idea how to make coffee, but I knew how to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have, do you have any... Um 
degrees or certifications or anything related to coffee or are you like purely just experience um, is kind of how you've learned? So the learning actually happened um, that, you know, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I started in coffee about like 2010, something like that. And so I've been on and off for a little bit, um, but a lot of it happened peer to peer. And so in 2010, we were kind of passing around myths and like uh, ideas of what we thought would work. And then like now with the Barista Guild and the SEA kind of really sharing up everything, um, it, it the education has gotten so much better. Barista Hustle uh, forums are really amazing. So there's a lot of good peer-to-peer there. Um, there's also a lot of over-the-top peer-to-peer where people are just saying very like you know you can be like ask a simple question about like why is my coffee sour and then people would be like oh did you check your barometric pressure uh did you check what the <laughs> temperature of china was or like you, you know, metrics yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. And, and it gets over the top but um yeah. you know a lot of it was just reading Maybe you under extracted it i know i yeah I, the, simple, <laughs> the simplest answer is sometimes always you know but uh i, I think um a lot of it was the way I train people now is that I always tell them you're never going to get all the information in one day, and especially with espresso. You can get the technical information, but you're never going to have that observation, that second nature. Like if you pull a shot, I already know whether it's going to be good or bad. You you have to – I always tell them you can evaluate three to five espressos a day before you start falling off and you, you, you're not into it. And so I always say every day, use that day to evaluate coffee and to help you. So to me, it was kind of like, it's not one day, it's several days, like several years of tasting espresso to figure it out. And so a lot of it was just kind of self-taught. When I, um, So I am certified with the Barista Guild of America. I'm a level two barista. And then I'm doing... I got close to finishing up my level one roasters, but because of the new training and teaching and the new um, course, uh, everyone who didn't finish their level one uh, got it wiped out. And so now I'm back at zero per se. And so now I got to retake all the, I got to retake their, I got to retake their curriculum to actually um, pass again. And so, but it's fine. Um, but I'm working on my level one barista and I have my level two, or I have my level two barista and I'm working on my level one roasters. Uh, but in all honesty, when I took these classes, they're all fundamental. And so as I'm there, I'm like, I felt light years ahead. And a lot of times the SEA and the BGA, what they consider certain things, we don't do in the shop. So to me, some of the stuff wasn't relevant and so if if you're pulling ristrettos at your shop and you go to the SEA, then they're going to be like, you're going to be pulling a two-to-one ratio, so a normali or something like that. And then you're going to be like, well, how is this relevant to me? So you can be certified, but some of the technical aspects of it isn't relevant to what your shop does. And so to me, it's just kind of more of a badge of honor. Uh, it looks good on a resume. You might be able to ask for more on your paycheck or when, if you switch or for raises. 
Um, it also shows that you really care. Because for me, I ended up paying out of pocket for them. And then once the bosses found out, they just reimbursed me. They're like, oh, we really appreciate that you're furthering your own education, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll pay for it because we appreciate it. Now that now that you're roasting, let's kind of shift gears here. So you're you're a roaster. You started you're a barista, but you're you're into roasting now. What what about roasting has kind of changed your perspective on coffee? Um, maybe the complexity of the process and your understanding more of the sourcing and all that. Like, how has that, I guess, changed your perception of coffee? So when you're a barista, you kind of don't really think about where the coffee came from or how it was even roasted for you. And, and so really, really working with coffee that I didn't know how it was roasted was kind of where I did all my learning. And so you have to guess how to make this coffee taste good. If it was roasted uh, very light, then you should do this. If it was roasted very dark, you'll do this. But you never knew what was happening because there was no real communication between roasters and baristas. Uh, there was no real emphasis on that. It would actually help a barista understand what they should, where, you know, what parameters to start with if you did something different with the roast. And so now that I switched over to roasting, I kind of know that it's super important to have that communication with your baristas, whether you're like, hey, I roasted this a little bit uh, less developed, so you might have to work on that extraction, or you, you know for a fact that you hand them a batch of coffee and you're like, oh, you're going to really enjoy pulling these shots because it's developed so nicely that you create a window of flavor that is so big that it's going to be even tougher to mess it up than to try to actually make it good if you do super light roasted coffees you create a really small window to travel through it's not impossible but it's a little bit more difficult and so as roasters we try to create huge flavor windows for our baristas to pass through and that's kind of how i think of it now um as far as now being a roaster that's a that's a really i like that i like that metaphor there that's a good kind of thought of the the window I what we've kind of noticed there's um that maybe kind of the size of that window starts all the way you know at the farm and the processing level and depending on how good the beans are somebody can roast it in perhaps not the best fashion and it can still taste really incredible yes um like how, how do you feel about that Is oh that kinda... absolutely um you, you know what was interesting is that as you know, getting back to um, some of the books that have been written about roasting and why some of those uh, rules and um, commandments work is because a lot of times that these books that are being roast are written, these books are being written for coffee that is excellent. You can take a really great coffee and roast it not so good and you'll end up with still a great product. Uh, the goal is to figure out how do you take an okay product and make it better than it originally would be. And so that's kind of the idea is that, you know, San Francisco uh, in particular buys really expensive coffee. So they're buying really high grade coffee. And you can get away with not being the best roaster and you still end up with something nice and nuanced. And so the the beans itself are very important. But I think the, the best part, uh, so is roasting something 
that maybe is a little bit old, a little bit this or that, and it's not 100% amazing, and trying to figure out, can you turn that into something better? I think roasting competitions are kind of the greatest example of that. Um, right now, I'm kind of getting ready to do the roasting competition. And so last year, we kind of had a pass crop, and so it was a little bit old, a little bit baggy. And so uh, we had a, 60 roasters all roasting this old coffee and trying to figure out, can we turn this to gold? And, you know, that's the judges to decide whether anyone really up the score of the coffee they had. And this year we're working with Genuine Origin and they donated 60 pounds of uh, Colombia Celsius. So super nice, it's nice, juicy, and so it's a nice coffee and it's scoring like, it scores about an 85. And so then the next question is, how do you judge roasters when they all have a good coffee? Someone's either gonna have to make it amazing and then we look at that roaster and see what they did. But, you know, I, I think the roasting, not the great coffee and creating that huge window is kind of the, the, the ultimate achievement for a roaster and the goal. What are, can you give us, um, I guess a kind of let's go the barista side and then we'll come back and get some tips on the roasting side. But like barista side, what let's you're given a coffee where the window is small, like how. How are you, how do you go about, um, you know, finding the window, I guess? So right off the bat, one of the, the easiest things to do is look at what coffee was handed to you. You get a, you get a Columbia, you're going to know, oh, okay, this is a high dense coffee. Um, it's also going to be acidic potentially. And then, or you get a Ethiopia where you're like, this has potential of having tons of nuance but it might have some bitter or it might have some underdevelopment because it's a most people try to do very light roasts on it. So you look at you start off by looking at what you're actually handed. The second thing is you start you start with a baseline. So your baseline, you end up just kind of you do your regular baseline that you do for every espresso shot and then that's once you taste it, that's when you start playing around with it. Um, everyone has a recipe and always start from that recipe you know you just think of it as that's your zero if you taste it and it's bitter adjust if it's sour adjust if it's too thin then you adjust um, I think the hardest thing though is a lot of baristas don't have control over what they're able to do uh, myself in particular you give me so I'll explain a barista that works at a shop that has no control, what, what can they do? All they can do is change the grind setting. And by changing the grind setting, they're changing the, the time of the espresso shot. And so either you're making it bitter or you're making it sour. And eventually you stop it to wherever it's, the, it's right in the middle. It's not bitter nor sour, but it, the flavor might not be great. What I, what I could do for myself, I'll change the temperature of the water. If it's too acidic, I might lower temperature. If it's too thin in body, I might updose to have more coffee in the portafilter. Or if it's too thick or too syrupy, I can downdose. Um, if the extraction was a little too salty, I'll pull it longer. So I'm able, like, I'll change variables to find my shot. 
And the hardest thing is, as I'm saying, that these are things that baristas are not encouraged to do. And it's the hardest thing because then you're not encouraged to really fine tune it. But it's also understandable because a lot of people don't want their baristas to be like, oh, I'm pulling this random shot that hasn't been QC'd with the bosses. And, you know, this is your company and this is what you want to be represented. And so to me, I'm able to change a lot of variables that most people aren't. Even pump pressure. Uh, I'll change the, the, P, the PSI or, you know, on the, on the pump passing the water. So I'll slow it down or I'll speed it up. And so I have all these variables I can change, and that's kind of how I would work it. And I would change one variable at a time to see what it does, and then I keep working until I find where I, I enjoy the shot the best. Man, I like that. Um, give us let's uh, let's go to a little bit of the roasting tips. Like, what are let's say some of us are home roasters. I actually I roasted a Burundi on Thursday on my little Be More Bay More, however you said that Be More, I guess. Yeah, Be More. Um, yeah, Be More. And um, I mean, I think it actually came out fairly nice. It's a little, it's uh, citrusy, very citrusy, which is nice. And, um, but what are, I guess, what are some tips? What are some tips for people that don't have access to a, you know, $20,000 roaster? <laughs> um, what are, what are some ideas maybe, or I guess general guidelines to, to try? I think, I think the biggest one is, Honesty. A lot of times it's hard to hear certain things or to say certain things to people that what you think of their coffee or the coffee I roast. Um, I know we had a we had a huge issue with a certain coffee that we bought. It was a, a delicious uh, coffee from Honduras. It was a yo-yo. And we took at least two months, two, two, two plus months trying to figure out how to roast it. And a lot of times certain people are like, that's nice. And I'm like, no, it's actually not. What you're actually tasting are these notes and this notes. And, th and they're like, yeah, that that's exactly it. And so I was just kind of, it doesn't help when someone says, oh, that was good. Because you're not actually being honest to us. And we're not actually, we're, if we're not going to address the issue if you tell us that's nice. We'll be like, cool, all right, done. We're, let's move on to the next project. And so for us, we, I, you know, we already knew that we weren't getting the flavor we wanted. The last two weeks, we really nailed it. But honesty on the cupping table, I think, is number one. Um, so if, you know, the number two is going to be, you know, roast that coffee a couple different ways. Use, use the same methodology that you use to get there, but maybe shorten it up a minute or maybe lengthen up a minute. So, for example, if you're telling me your coffee was a little uh, citrusy, so there's a good amount of acid still left in it, um, you can maybe push it a little bit longer, as in let first crack happen a little bit later, and then but keep everything else the same. Just maybe use lower heat uh, to get it to that same ending temperature, and maybe you'll get a little bit more development, a little bit more um, body out of it. And so then the biggest part is cupping it all together. Um, keep samples of your old roast versus your new roast and then uh, figure out where you want the roast. You know, most of the time what happens for us is roast A and roast B will like somewhere in the middle. So you'll be able to taste 
underdevelopment and overdevelopment and then we'll be like all right it has to be somewhere in the middle and then adjust that to that that was part one of the steve cuevas interview if you'd like to hear the next part you will be able to download it as i am speaking to you go ahead and download that one and until next time my friends grab a cup of coffee take a sip and smile and we'll see you next time for another conversation